So, um, Psalm <coughs> 23, the Good Shepherd. Uh, probably the most famous psalm uh, out of the 150 psalms in the Psalms in the Bible's songbook. And I think if you were to do a, a top 10 of psalms, um, then Psalm 23, I would imagine, would come in at number one. Uh, if I visit someone at home or in hospital who's unwell, and I say, would you like us to read a psalm together? Invariably, they choose Psalm 23. It's when people ask for Psalm 119 that my face kind of drops. <laughs> because obviously it has 176 verses compared to the six in Psalm 23. So don't, some of you are going to do that now, aren't you? I know that. <clears throat> but, but even though it's such a familiar psalm, I don't remember ever having preached on it in the last you know, 20 or so years that I've been ordained. And so given that we have this kind of um, spare week, Easter is coming to an end, and then we had Ascension, and then Pentecost is next week. And I know that David Bracewell... Uh, very faithfully spoke on the Ascension last Sunday morning. <laughs> For those of you here, he did speak on something else, but it was fine. Um, I thought, well, let's speak on Psalm 23. And as I've been reading it and reflecting on it and reading around it, um, it doesn't feel like one week is enough. Uh, there's so much in this psalm, so much. I could preach on it for, you know, seven, eight Sundays, uh, but I've only got one, so it could be a long sermon, so do make yourself comfortable. But um, here are some, I just thought because it's about sheep, we could have some sheep jokes. <laughs> so where did the sheep from St. Peterport end up after he robbed the farmer in Tortival? Behind bars. Thank you, Anna. Um, <clears throat> what do sheep wear to the beach? A barkini. Yeah, okay. Um, what kind of dance do sheep specialize in? Rumba or barn dancing or barley? Okay, not many more. Um, <coughs> what do you get when you cross an angry sheep with a grumpy cow? A bad mood, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, La, um, I, I'll give you two more because I like this next one. Uh, what do you call it? What do you call it when a sheep jumps out at you? A lambush. <laughs> Last one. What's a sheep without any legs? Clown. Well done. I think we might need to pray now. So let's do that. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the scriptures, um, written so many years ago, and those who wrote it would probably never have imagined that someone in Guernsey would be speaking about it in the here and now, but that's the beauty of this written word. And we pray that um, the thoughts and ideas behind this psalm would echo down the centuries to us today and would bless us as this psalm has blessed many people over the years, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 is essentially about God. It's about who God is. It's about his character, the type of God he is. It's about what God does. It's about his action in our lives and in the world. And, and Psalm 23, we find that God is likened to, to a good shepherd. And if you look through the Old 
and the New Testament, I mean, partly because of the culture at the time, there's a huge amount of references to sheep and shepherds and flocks. And that image of a good shepherd in the Old Testament is often used to refer to God. And the hope is, is that those whom God appoints to lead would be good shepherds like he is. But then also what we find, uh, particularly in some of the prophets, Jeremiah and others, that they, they, they pull up on leaders who are bad and call them bad shepherds. Not bad. Sorry, I'll stop now. Uh, but they, but they, the, the hope is, is that they would be good shepherds. And then we come to the New Testament. And the imagery continues and we find that the image of the good shepherd is one that is claimed by Jesus. So in John 10, familiar, I'm sure, to some of you, uh, Jesus says about himself, he says, he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that people have been writing about, thinking about for centuries. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And, and Jesus makes a claim that he is the good shepherd that, was written about in Psalm 23, a thousand years before by King David, who was the shepherd king. And, and I know the other week you're thinking about you know, Jesus being the king of kings and David was the forerunner of Jesus, the one who was to come. And so Psalm 23 is all about Jesus. It's all about who he is and his action in our lives and in our world. And so uh, in John 10, when Jesus talks about uh, himself being the good shepherd, he also says that those who follow after him, sheep, if you like, he says that, that he has come to bring them life and life in all of its fullness. And so the good shepherd comes to bring life and abundant life to his followers. That is what we are promised. Sometimes in, in the church, I think we need to remind ourselves of that, that actually Jesus, the good shepherd, has come to bring life and life in all its fullness. And I think that um, that life in all its fullness is not something we earn, it's not a right, but it's a gift that is given to us to receive. And I think that Psalm 23 gives us an idea of what this abundant life might look like. We have all kinds of images and ideas of what an abundant life might look like in our world. But... Um, what we really find in Psalm 23 is what abundant life really looks like, and it's very different in many ways. And so I just want to focus on some of the gifts in Psalm 23 um, that are given to us. I'll see if this works. Oh, yeah, it does, lovely. Um, as we seek to follow Jesus. And, and as we follow after him, the good shepherd, so we're promised this good life. And who doesn't want a good life? Here we find what it looks like. But before we look at uh, those gifts, and I've identified seven of them, and you'll be pleased to know, I'm just going to speak about four of them. Uh, I just want to say something about the way in which this psalm is written. Um, it's what learned people called a chiasm. People familiar with that? Some of you? There you go. A chiasm is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then repeated in reverse order. And what is key in a chiasm is what is in the middle. And so if you think, if you've got A, B, C, D, and then you have C, B, A, and so the beginning and the end match up, and as you go in, it's what you call parallelism as well. Uh, and you, I can't say it. Uh, and you find a lot of chiasms in the Bible. Some of you are now thinking, shoot me now. I did not come for uh, uh, an English lesson. But, but Psalm 23 is a chiasm. 
Um, and it, and it, show, it mirrors itself and it shows us what is most important. If you take a look at your notice sheet, um, then you'll find that we've, we've kind of um, set it out as it, as it would be in terms of a chiasm. So you find that the first part and the last part, they're all about trusting in the Lord. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then the second and the sixth part are all about food, the abundance of food and drink. Water and grass, you prepare a table before me. And then we find that three and five are essentially about rescue and security. And then what you find in the middle of the psalm uh, is that verse which says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And, and the key thing about this psalm is the presence of God. Not for a moment, but forever. That God is with us. The key thing about the good shepherd is that he is with us. And we need to hold on to that. So let's look at some of these gifts. Um, the first one is the gift of contentment. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I shall not want. Anna and I have just been away on holiday. We went to Corfu, nice little Greek island. This time last week, we were in a church called Holy Trinity in Corfu town, which is basically set up years ago for expats. We had a lovely time. If the sun had been out, we wouldn't have been there, but it wasn't, so we were. Um, <clears throat> but we went in search of clear blue skies, warm sunshine, and hot sea. Instead, what we mainly had were dense clouds, wind, and rain for most of the time. Uh, all of the Greeks kept saying, it's never like this. Uh, and we thought, hang on, we, we came four years ago and it was like this then as well. So it is like this quite often. And I have to confess that in the midst of this, um, what I felt was a, at the time a disappointing holiday, I have to confess to being very shallow and grumpy and discontent. I wanted more. I wasn't happy with my lot. And then the sun came out on our last day and I was happy as Larry. Uh, Despite this amazing holiday, which was a gift, that not everyone, not everyone gets holidays, so we're hugely grateful for it. I was quite discontent, because it didn't work out as I had hoped. On our journey home, we flew into Gatwick North, which is kind of taken over by EasyJet, and then you get the monorail going down to Gatwick South. And uh, on the monorail, obviously sponsored by EasyJet, there was a little advert where this woman was saying, welcome back home. Um, we at EasyJet hope that you've had a lovely holiday. I think, no. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the wonderful sunshine. And then she said, it's at points like this, when we return from holiday, that we start to think about. And I was thinking, what's she going to say? We start to think about seeing family and friends. We start to think about going back to work. We start to think about Christmas. But she didn't say that. She said, it's at points like this, when you're traveling between Gatwick North and Gatwick South, that we start to think about our next holiday. And I thought, I've not finished the last one. But to be honest, she had me banged to rights because I was actually thinking about my next holiday. So when she said, um, get your phone out and you know, scan the QR code for EasyJet special offers, I was the first one there. I have to confess that I can be quite shallow and discontent at times. 
Enough is never enough. We can live with that sense of discontentment. But we find that in, in the culture in which we live, in Western capitalism. It's built on the idea of creating needs and wants and saying to people, look, this is what you need, this is what you want. Now, in order for you to feel satisfied and content, you need to then satisfy these needs and wants, as many as possible. It's consumerism. You know, marketing and advertising peddles the myth that having this experience or that gadget or this holiday or this car, if we had all of those things, then we will be content in life. But I think we all know that it is a myth because it does seem that enough is never enough. But the truth of Scripture is that if we really want to know contentment, we need to follow the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The psalmist knows that if he, like a sheep, followed the shepherd, then that shepherd would protect him. That shepherd would provide for him. That shepherd would surround him with grace and mercy and goodness. And that even when he found himself in the darkest valley, that shepherd would bring hope and salvation. And so he says at the beginning of this psalm with great confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And we're invited in the same way to receive the gift of contentment. Today, are you discontent with your lot? Well, I encourage you to trust in Jesus, the good shepherd, and receive the gift of contentment. Some of us will be familiar uh, with a hymn writer with this lovely name, Horatio Spafford, who went through all kinds of difficult situations, and he, he wrote this in a hymn. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Um, the second gift is, um, is the gift of, of rest. I'm going to try again. Um, verse 2, the psalmist writes that the good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. <clears throat> in the Middle East, at the time in which this was written, um, what you find is that shepherds didn't drive a flock of sheep from behind using a sheepdog, rather like we might see in, in the Yorkshire Dales. But basically, a shepherd in the Middle East would lead the flock slowly from the front, calling them forwards by playing a tune on a pipe or by having uh, a song, a unique call to them that they would follow. And the shepherd would go out into what was essentially desert and would lead the sheep to abundant green pastures and still waters. The shepherd knows that in order for the sheep to rest, they need to eat, they need to drink, and then they will lie down and properly rest. Apparently, I've, in my reading around this, I found that sheep generally don't drink from water that is moving like a flowing stream. But the water needs to be still for the sheep to drink. And so what a shepherd would often do would they, they go to a, a, a stream and, that was flowing, they'd cut out a channel on the side, so that would then become a pool of still water, so the sheep would drink and would rest. 
the good shepherd promises us rest. Now, you might say, I'm far too busy for rest. I've just got no time for it. Um, But what we find is that David, who wrote this, you would think that he didn't have a lot of time to rest, but he obviously could testify to God taking him to a place of rest. You know, he, he lived a turbulent life. He had a lot of stuff going on. He was a bit like the House of Windsor, but 10 times worse. There was murder and incest and betrayal and adultery and treachery and civil war and death in his family and overseeing a kingdom. David had a lot going on. But as he followed the Good Shepherd, he found that even in the midst of his turbulent life, that the Good Shepherd helped him to lie down and to rest, to be beside still waters so that he could really rest, even though life was busy. Now I think as I look out, I know a lot of you, um, many of us live life too fast, and I include myself in that. And when we live life too fast, we don't really live life at all. We don't lie down and rest. But the Good Shepherd wants to give to you, to me, this gift of rest. He doesn't want to drive us from behind, but he he pulls us forward. Hosea talks about God pulling us forward with cords of love. He wants to lead us with cords of love so that we might find rest. That's the gift that is on offer. Trouble is though, are you going too fast to receive it? The good shepherd wants to lead us to a place of rest. Um, the third gift is, uh, is the gift of being found and forgiven. Lee, can you change it for me? I've given up on it. Um, and, and it refers to the, the verse which says, he, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And sometimes the way in which we understand these verses, especially the he restores my soul, is that David, the psalmist, was feeling a bit fed up. He was a bit down. And the Lord, the good shepherd, helped him to feel better about himself and his circumstances. He refreshes my soul. He restores me. But actually the literal translation is he, the good shepherd, brings me back. The sheep is not a bit fed up, but the sheep is lost. And the good shepherd goes after him to find him and carry him home. The sheep is lost. The shepherd seeks after him. And it's all about sin, actually, and repentance. It's about being on the wrong path, but the shepherd coming to us and taking us to the right path. Apparently shepherds in the Middle East say that when a sheep knows it's lost, it tries to hide under a bush or a rock or a tree and starts to bleat and to shake. And the shepherd needs to get there quickly, otherwise um, a wild animal will get there before and um, make the most of this lost sheep. Basically the lost sheep is on the wrong path and the good shepherd goes to find the sheep so that the sheep can return to the right path. And the only hope of rescue that the sheep has, because they're pretty defenseless, is actually the good shepherd. They can't save themselves, and neither can we. And so this image of the lost sheep repenting, 
going from the wrong path to the right path is what this part of the psalm is all about. It's found in a hymn uh, that some of you will be familiar with, the king of love my shepherd is. The verse says, perverse and foolish oft I strayed. I went on the wrong path. I found myself in a place of sin, but yet in love he sought me and on his shoulders gently laid and home rejoicing bore me. And I think if you, like that sheep, feel lost this morning, if you find yourself on the wrong path, isolated, maybe cut off from the flock, hiding from God because of your sin and your guilt and your shame, maybe hiding on the wrong path because of bad choices, maybe lost because others have sinned against you, then this morning know this, the good shepherd has not given up on you. His arm is not too short to save. He comes looking for you so that you can return from the wrong path to the right path that repentance would lead to forgiveness. This morning, if you feel like you're lost, caught up in sin on the wrong path, receive the gift of being found and forgiven. Receive the gift of rescue from the good shepherd. Okay, Lee, next one. Uh, the fourth gift, gift is the gift of hope. And, and it comes from verse four, uh, where the psalmist writes, and a, a very familiar verse, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. This is the key verse in this psalm. Seven years ago, next month, Anna and I were in Tanzania visiting the work of Tumaini that Sue is very passionate about. Um, and when you go on a road trip uh, with the Tumaini team, it really is a very, very long road trip. and makes for a very long day. You feel like you've been traveling for months. Um, and we were in this truck that had more people than seats and we'd been driving for hours. Um, Sue had asked us to go and check out a possible location for a safari park or something. Have you built it yet? No. no. <coughs> After more money. Um, anyway, we, uh, we came to this barrier in the road and uh, pulled over. The driver gave the man at the roadside some cash. And two more men got in with big guns uh, in the back of the truck. And uh, we were quite oblivious to what was going on, carried on driving. I said to the driver, what's taking place? And he said, well, this area is known for bandits who've come over the border from Burundi and now live in, in Tanzania. And they often stop cars, they have guns, and they cause trouble. So the armed guards are here to protect us. I'm sat there thinking, Sue Wilson never told me anything about this. And I was wetting myself with fear. But all went well. We didn't encounter any bandits. But for a moment, it felt like the valley of the shadow of death. In some places in the Middle East, at the bottom of a valley, winter streams have come. They've cut very long, deep crevices at the, the bottom of the valley, these narrow openings in the rock. And so to travel through the valley, you have to go through these narrow openings. Uh, one writer on um, Middle Eastern shepherds said this. He said, valleys 
of the shadow of death are paths which wind in between mountains where there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble, they expect trouble or death at any time while they are passing through. These narrow openings were dangerous and they're also susceptible to flash floods as well where very quickly a whole body of water can come and whoever is there will drown. They can cause destruction and death in the valley. But to get from one place to another, you have to go through it. I was reminded of that kid's book, We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Who who remembers that? Uh, So the family, when they encounter an obstacle, they say this, we can't go over it, we can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. And in life, we can find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, a place of fear and suffering and pain and darkness. And it's not an easy place. And no one in life gets a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to suffering. doesn't matter how well-known you are, how rich you are, when it comes your way, it comes your way. And generally, when it comes our way, whatever it might look like, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. But the psalmist in Psalm 23 is clear that the good shepherd will lead the sheep from a place of darkness to a place of light. From a place of fear to a place of feasting. You find that in verse 5. From a place of death to a place of of life. You find that in verse 6. The psalmist seems to possess this unshakable hope that because the good shepherd is with him, that even in the darkest valley, he need not fear. And we know post-Easter that because of the death and the resurrection and the glorious ascension of Jesus Christ, we also can have this gift of hope. That when suffering comes, it may well be something we need to pass through, but it's not our final destination. Because being with God, dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, is where we are headed. And because of that, we can have hope, even in the most difficult situations. Um, Last week, An amazing, I thought, an amazing author and pastor and theologian died at the age of 72 from cancer. His name was Tim Keller, and uh, I have personally been inspired by his writing and his leadership, a real man of integrity. And he wrote a book recently uh, all about hope called Hope in Times of Fear. And he, he wrote it when he'd just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and the pandemic had started. Life wasn't looking good for him. And, um, and sadly, he died last week. But one thing he wrote was this, Christians see hard things as indeed hard and not to be sought after, but we have been armed with this great truth, namely that when received with faith in God, these hard things can lead to the best things. 
And because of that, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death with hope. Because these hard things, the valley of the shadow of death, lead to the best things where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, um, just some gifts that we find in Psalm, you'll have to do it for me, Lee, in Psalm 23 that are given to us by Jesus. And I think as we receive them, so they lead to the fullness of life. Final thought. I've already spoken about this key verse in this chiasm, verse four, where the psalmist writes, you are with me. And God being with his people is one of the major themes of scripture. God is with us. His presence is with us. It's the best gift that we can receive. Tim Keller, again, wrote this. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the ultimate darkness was coming down on him and he knew it was coming, he didn't abandon you. He died for you. If Jesus Christ didn't abandon you in his darkness, the ultimate darkness, why would he abandon you now in yours? We are promised his presence. So this morning, as we've looked briefly, you might not think so, at Psalm 23, what gift or gifts do you need to receive? The gift of contentment, the gift of rest, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of hope, the gift of his presence. Would you like to stand and I'd love to pray for us. We're going to, in some ways, symbolically ask God to give us these gifts that are promised in this psalm. And if you want to receive one of those gifts this morning, like you would receive a gift from a friend, just put your hands out as if to receive it, and I'd love to pray for us. So Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, for those who find themselves discontent in life, we pray that you might give to them the gift of contentment. Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, for those of us who are tired and worn out, we pray that you would give to us the gift of rest. Lead us to green pastures and quiet waters. Lord Jesus, for those who are lost, for those who find themselves in a place of sin, we pray that you might give to them the gift of being found and the gift of forgiveness. Lord Jesus, the good shepherd, for those who find themselves in a dark valley, we pray that you would give to them the gift of hope. And Lord Jesus, we pray that we might know the gift of your presence, that you are 
with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Make yourself known to us, we pray. And we ask this in your name, the one who is the good shepherd. Amen.